this morning we are just uh, continuing our series in uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, so we're taking time uh, to look at just what Paul was, was doing with the church in Corinth in terms of how he was ministering to them. Uh, and also just the kind of main point he was hitting home throughout this entire letter, uh, that grace really does change everything. Grace transforms uh, and grace uh, renews. Um, and so we're taking time to go through this letter. We're looking at how it is that Paul um, is able to identify and address areas of sin uh, within the, the life of this church. Um, and he challenges this group of believers and how it is he does this. He points them towards God, the reality of the gospel for these individuals. He's wanting them to see that their lives are bigger than a particular sin. Their lives have to be rooted and grounded in the truth of the gospel. Um, and so last week um, we spent time looking at the issue uh, of a man um, who was basically having sex with his stepmom uh, and he was boasting about it. He was proud about what he was doing. There's every chance that the church in Corinth was also proud about what was going on. Uh, Paul in the first part of chapter 5 was dealing with this particular sin problem um, and he was challenging this sin and their sinful reaction head on. Um, as well as warning them of the dangers of sexual sin as a whole. Um, so Paul calls them in this passage to be a people of God who really do flee from sexual immorality. That's really an important point we have to take uh, from the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And last week we spent time looking at the fact that the Greek word for sexual immorality is the word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography from. Um, and in the Greek it simply means any sexual practice outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Um, so this is a bit of a backdrop uh, for us this morning. Um, we're going to just take some time to look at our passage today. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 5 verses 9 through to 13. So we're just continuing on. Um, we're going to read the entire chapter just so we have a, a proper context as to what is going on. Um, so I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Um, there are a few Bibles just beside uh, Jonathan here. So if anybody wants a copy, you can grab one. There's, the words are also going to be up on the screen uh, for us as well. Uh, so we read these words. We're going to start in verse 1 uh, of our passage of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, so Paul says these words. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the, whole, the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And in our passage this morning, starting in verse 9, Paul continues, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. 
In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, you know, it really does, it grieves my heart uh, to say this, but in my lifetime, which believe it or not is not actually that long, um, I can think of three leaders, uh, leaders within churches that I've been a part of, um, and who have had spiritual authority over me and many others, and who are actively engaged in adulterous relationships. Uh, two of those three leaders were in multiple adulterous relationships at the same time. Uh, with this last leader, uh, my friend and I had responsibility to report what was going on. Uh, we were aware of what was happening when it appeared that no one else was aware of what was going on. Um, although we actually knew that other people did know, we just didn't want to, to deal with this situation. Um, everything within us wanted to avoid reporting this situation because, let's face it, we idolise comfort. We all want to avoid uncomfortable situations and the potential stress that might arise from it. But what compelled us to do something? What really enabled us to report what was happening with regards to this leader was 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 9 through to 13. And what we were deeply challenged by from this chapter was the fact that sexual immorality should have absolutely no place within the life of the church, let alone the life of a Christian leader. And if sexual immorality if sexual immorality does exist within the life of a church, the unrepentant person has to, in love, be removed swiftly and definitively for the sake, for the health of the entire church. Now, notice what Paul does here. He broadens us out to a whole host of other sins. It's not just sexual immorality. It's also the greedy person. Uh, the person whose life is characterised and governed by materialism. The person who lives for the pursuit of money and possessions. The person who's running towards stuff in their life at the expense of the needs of other people around them. It's a person who basically kicks a poor person in the back for their own personal gain in order to, to receive more wealth and things. The greedy person. And it's the idolater. The idolater. This is a person who's clearly living for someone or something else except Jesus. It's basically that particular individual who's going to sacrifice everything in their life for their particular thing of worship. Their identity is wrapped around that thing that they worship. And this can be something as silly and trivial as the worship of a particular football team, or it can be something so much bigger. So the idolater, and it's a swindler, the person who's intentionally trying to rip people off for financial gain, and sometimes even using the name of Jesus to do that. It's if a member of the church here was taking advantage of another person for financial gain and they denied it, even though we knew they were doing it, we would in love need to break fellowship with that person. This is what Paul was getting at in this passage. It's the slanderer, the person whose life is characterised by shooting people down. It's the person who sees criticising people as a bit of a blood sport. 
Um, they actually enjoyed being abusive and derogatory and at the same time were not willing to change, for unrepentant. And it's a drunkard too. On Friday, uh, Jason and I met up with Terry McCutcheon, um, who's part of Folk for Glasgow, and he's basically set up a charity to support those um, who are battling with addiction, and it really ties in with what's happening with SOAS. And a big part of this ministry is a day centre. It's a beacon of light to those who are, a fighting, who are fighting their addictive lifestyle. And he had no idea that we were going to be looking at his passage, but he just started talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. And he said, basically, in as many words, when I see that word drunkard in 1 Corinthians, I see it as an all-encompassing word for those who abuse substances. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs. It's basically just any kind of external source in order that we might try and fill that void that exists within our hearts. We all feel empty and addiction is really rooted in this recognition of emptiness and trying to fulfill that emptiness with some kind of substance, some kind of external substance. The drunkard here is a person whose life is defined by drunkenness, they're addicted, but it's also a person whose life is defined by drugs. It's a person whose life is defined by whatever external source they need within their lives. So I wonder this morning, can you identify with any of these sins within your own life? Um, as you think of your own life and the sinful habits you may have nurtured, in which of these areas do you need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus, I turn from this sin. Jesus, today I pursue you with all that I am in the power of your spirit. I believe that you can become my greatest satisfaction. Do you need to pray that prayer today in light of all of these sins, not just sexual immorality? You know, it's interesting when you think of the Christian church, we've categorised which sins are really bad and which sins are less bad. So we would feel more compelled to challenge a swindler than a slanderer. I'm convinced of that. We would feel more convicted about addressing the problem of, of someone trying to rip someone else off than we would if someone was slandering somebody else. We would turn a blind eye to the idolater or the greedy person than we would a drunkard or adulterer. Part of the reason for this is that some of these sins appear, they appear to be worse than others. Some of these sins can often appear to just affect the particular person who's committing that sin. Whereas other sins can be more relationally destructive and damaging to those around them, including the church family. But the reality is that all sin is a declaration of war against God. We choose to separate ourselves from him, to go our own way, to do our own thing. Now in light of these sins listed within this passage and the challenge to remove a person, there's every chance you're maybe going to completely misunderstand what it is I'm saying this morning. There's every chance you're going to misinterpret what I've said as none of these kinds of people are welcome in Denison Baptist Church. And I just want to be really clear about this this morning. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm just going to say it again. Nothing could be further from the truth. We long, we long to be a church where all of these kinds of people are welcome. Um, if you have faith in Christ, as you think of your own life, as you think of how it is you address non-Christians and Christians, 
there's every chance that you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong in light of what Scripture says. Because as Christians, we so often judge the unbeliever and we embrace the believer, no matter what it is that we do. Believers can do whatever they want and we do not say a single word. But we judge the unbeliever in their sin. When we should judge the believer in love and embrace the unbeliever, irrespective of who they are or what they have done, the unbeliever is heading for a lost eternity. The reality is they need a loving person, a believer to point them in the right direction. This is a call of God upon our lives if we have faith in Christ. We're called to point those who don't know Jesus towards Jesus, that they might experience transformation. We don't judge them. We love them, we bless them, we encourage them. But for believers, believer to believer, we're called to be accountable to one another. Let me ask you this morning, wasn't that who you were before you came to faith in Christ? Before Christ, wasn't your identity wrapped around sexual morality, swindling, greed, slandering, idolatry, drunkenness, or whatever sin of choice you pursued and lived for? This is not an exhaustive list. There are many other sins that we pursue and wrap our identity around. And didn't it take the loving arms of believers to help us see this life is futile. This life does not make any sense at all apart from Jesus. This is one of the primary reasons we're doing solace. We're declaring through this course that seeks to help people in their addiction that sinners, broken people, those who are addicted and dependent on substances or whatever it might be, we're declaring these people are welcome here in this church. We want to help them in their need to overcome their addiction. And as we help them, we want them to see that the answer to all of their questions and all of their problems is in Jesus himself. Amen? Is that, is that right? Yeah? We've had some really powerful prayer times recently uh, on a Tuesday. Uh, and we've seen God, how God has clearly answered our prayers. And so I would just encourage you this Tuesday uh, and next Tuesday and the Tuesdays after that as well, but this Tuesday and next Tuesday to come and join us. What we're going to do is we're going to spend the first half of that prayer time praying for solace and praying for those who are battling with addiction in our city, in our community. And then in the second half, we're going to have a bunch of flyers and in true Christian fashion, we're going to go out and just share of what Jesus has done for us in our life and invite them along to solace. So this Tuesday at 7.30, come along as we pray and also as we step out in faith and believe that God is going to send us the right people to meet and to talk to. Mm -hmm. And in us doing this, we're reflecting these words of Paul in our passage. We know for us to be effective in solace, for us to be effective in ministry, we need to be accountable to each other. How can God work powerfully through the team at solace? How can God work powerfully through the worship team? How can God work powerfully through Esau or through any other ministry within the life of the church unless we are accountable, unless we are living lives that are pure and holy as Paul speaks of in this passage. Paul's passion was for the people of God to be holy. And this is why Paul says in verse 10, when speaking of removing the sexually immoral person from among the family of believers in Corinth, not at all meaning the, pers the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. 
So as a church, you know, we echo what Paul says here. We're not casting judgment on the unbeliever who has no concept of repentance, who is spiritually blind in their sin. These are the people who we love to welcome to DBC. And they will always, always, always be welcome, irrespective of whether or not they respond in faith. They're always welcome here. The challenge comes to those who profess Jesus, but live the opposite of that. Who say, I follow Christ, but their lives do not reflect this. Paul underlines this responsibility we have to not judge unbelievers, but instead to judge believers who are shown no signs of repentance in verse 11 of our passage. And he says, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. So I'm just going to say a lot of what I've already said, but just to be super clear about this this morning, we would, within the church family, remove an individual from Denison Baptist Church. And that would always be the last resort. And there would be many loving conversations with that person. When they firstly profess the name of Jesus, that is, they openly declared that Jesus is Lord, and they were fully committed to the life of the church, and secondly, they were living in sin, including, but not exclusively, these kinds of sins we've just mentioned. And who thirdly had no problem with that contradiction whatsoever. They were quite happy to say Jesus is Lord and at the same time have no issue with the sin choices that they were making. Those three factors, profession of faith, a recognition or a lack of recognition that they were in sin, and quite willing to, to go their own way and do their own thing, those three factors would cause us as a church family to say, unless you repent, unless you recognise that what you're doing is wrong, you cannot have fellowship with us. You're destroying your own witness. You're destroying the witness of Denison Baptist Church. You know, the person my friend and I reported a number of years ago, today still professes Jesus, and today is still unrepentant of his sin. In that instance, I couldn't separate myself from our passage this morning. I had to break fellowship with this individual. And Paul reiterates what he's already said here in the final two verses of our passage. We read, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So Paul here is alluding to a common Old Testament picture. Uh, and it's really a, a picture of one individual or a number of individuals committing sin and how that infected, how that affected the entire church family, the, the entire body of, of God's people. So it's just essential that we get this this morning. If we as a church, a body of believers who say we know and love Jesus are living in unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin, the blessing of God as an entire church family will not be upon us. We will not know him as we ought to. We will not see him work as we ought to see him work through our lives in the power of his Holy Spirit. Reaping and sowing is a, a really essential kingdom principle. You know, when there's personal and corporate holiness, something powerful uh, takes place. It enables us to be a powerful witness to a lost world. And we really will see lives transformed in the power of the gospel. 
when believers are accountable, when we are honest about the struggles we have and when we consistently repent of our sin and when unbelievers are loved, when we want to help people in their time of need and point them towards Jesus, honestly, our lives are transformed. We have seen evidence of this within the life of the church. We've seen lives transformed in the power of the gospel. So we're about to respond uh, in worship uh, in light of this word. And we're going to just take time to praise him, to thank him, to rejoice in who he is. But as we sing, um, you can respond in two other ways. Um, If you love Jesus, you can come. We're going to have a table just at the front here. And you can come and take the bread uh, and the cup. Uh, You can remember what Christ has done for you. It's very easy for us to do this every single week and it just becomes some kind of ritual. But just contemplate the fact that Jesus really did die for you on the cross for your sins. Take the bread and remember Jesus' body which was given for you. And as you take that bread, we would encourage you to then dip it into the cup and to remember his blood was shed. Jesus died for you and for me. This really helps us, it enables us to see the power of the gospel, the reality that we are saved It should cause us to remember, but it should also cause us to rejoice in all that God has done for us. There's also opportunity to respond in prayer. The doors are going to be open at the side here. If you feel compelled to receive prayer, then just go to the doors there. And it's really a chance for you to, to receive ministry. If you feel convicted by something, maybe you need healing for something, then we would pray and ask that Jesus would bless you. Maybe you want to receive Jesus for the first time then we would count it a privilege to pray with you that you might accept Jesus and turn from your sin. Before we do this, before we sing, before we come to the table, before we have opportunity to pray, um, what we're going to do is is just watch a short film uh, about a church plant um, in Quebec, in North America. And I believe it really does paint the picture of what we've been thinking about this morning. In this film, you're going to hear testimonies of sinners unbelievers who have now become believers, transformed in the spirit through the gospel. And if you pay attention to these individual stories, you'll see that they struggled, what they struggled with before they came to Christ is much of what is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll see a deep connection between what we have read and what we see. But notice what was going on here. It took a church to love these people and welcome them for them to experience the gospel for themselves. As they welcomed sinners into their family, they at the same time chose to be accountable to one another. The believers recognised the value of the word and prayer and they saw sinners, unbelievers, come into faith in Christ. So a question for us, what would God do, what could God do in the midst of a holy people towards an unholy world? That's a challenge for us uh, this morning. Let me pray and then we're going to watch this video and then respond uh, in a time of worship. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray and ask uh, that this uh, opportunity we have to to really identify and address uh, the sin in our life would not go uh, unmissed, Lord, that we would take every opportunity to be aware of what the Spirit is saying to us And Lord, I pray for conviction, I pray for challenge, but Lord, I also pray that we would just be so aware of your love uh, for us, 
uh, that you would enable us to wholeheartedly pursue you with all that we are as we are completely reliant upon you. Help us to let go of the sin that so easily entangles us and help us to fix our eyes upon you as the offer and perfecter of our faith. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.